I believe the Lord gives grace to the humble. And so he just smacked my pride like mad. I feel like he's just humbled me to a point where I just want to be a servant. I didn't know at the time he was doing it, but I thank God for it. Welcome to First Person, a weekly conversation centered on a guest whose life has been changed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest this week is Papa Joe Bradford of Nashville. You'll meet him in just a moment, but just before I introduce today's guest, let me remind you that anytime you'd like additional information about what you hear in First Person, you'll find it online at firstpersoninterview.com. There's a complete schedule of upcoming programs and an archive of all past programs for you to listen to at any time. Again, we're found at firstpersoninterview.com. While in Nashville recently, a friend introduced me to a man named Papa Joe Bradford. I learned that his story has just been featured in the movie Unconditional, which is now also available on DVD. And as you'll learn, Papa Joe is a man with a past, but he's also helping greatly in the present through an organization he and his wife Denise founded called Elijah's Heart, showing love and bringing aid to underprivileged children and their families. We met at the Mole Inn studio in Franklin, Tennessee, and I started by asking him how the idea of making a movie of his life story came about. I was one of the original computer hackers in the early 80s, Wayne, and um, the executive producer uh, recently was helping with our, our ministry just you know, two or three years ago, and he said, I think I'm supposed to make a movie about, about your story. And uh, at the time, he didn't know my story. He only knew that, that I worked with children. And so I sat at a Five Guys restaurant with grease running down my face, <laughs> telling him about uh, my history. I kept my skeletons hidden in the closet for a long time. But like I said, I was one of the original computer hackers in the early 80s. I was an honor student at the University of Tennessee on full scholarship uh, as an en- engineering student. I tutored three languages in computer programming, was one of the lead tutors. And on a dare, they, uh, these guys dared me to uh, hack into a bank and hacking it just got going you know i was one of the people that actually hmm. reason why they created the word hacking i guess you could yeah. say <laughs> so it was with criminal intent uh yo that's yes and no yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was more to see if it could be done because i was, was about a challenge to, right it was a challenge yeah. more challenge it was only two hundred dollars you know gave the money back but the point is this pride rose up in me and and I did uh, hack into, uh, into the bank. I found myself incarcerated right at the point of uh, going to IBM. And uh, I was put in with violent offenders. What was the sentence? The sentence was eight years at 30%. And like I said, at that time, it, uh, hacking was a new thing. And a black hacker was even more strange. Strange too, huh? Yeah. They didn't want a, a young black man running around being able to break into banks. And so they made an example Not out of it. Not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And so while I was uh, incarcerated, I uh, got into some uh, skirmishes, to say the least. Mm. I grew up studying martial arts, and I was uh, trying to protect someone, and I got into a, a battle. I didn't get hurt, but uh, got into a rough battle. And it's depicted in the movie somewhat. Got out of, of prison eventually, and I met a wonderful young lady. And then I got a rare kidney disease. 
I lost both my kidneys uh, when we were pregnant with our second child. I was on a dialysis machine up to nine hours a day for 15 months. Ten surgeries, several near-death experiences, and put on another machine. And in the midst of all this, uh, my wife and I were uh, worship leaders for children. We lost any sorts of funds, ended up moving into the projects. And there, uh, an amazing thing happened. One day, we were doing a rehearsal with this, uh, this choir, this uh, children's choir that was going to sing for the National Day of Prayer, kids straight out of the projects. And I'm fast-forwarding a lot of this stuff. And this 12-year-old girl came up to me, and she had been beaten. Her face was swollen. She had been beaten by her mother. And my wife and I prayed for her. And um, her little sister came from over there. She was eating lunch with the other, you know, 60, 70 kids. She came over and said, will you be my daddy? Mm. Now, this child didn't know any qualifications that I had being a dad. I didn't grow up with a dad. I didn't see my dad from age three to age 22 or hear from him. I only seen him twice up to age three. And she said, will you be my daddy? And I thought she was just kidding. Well, another child came up and said, well, will you be my daddy? And then a little, you know, a third child came up and said, well, well, will you be my daddy? And before I knew it, it was 40 children, 40 some of my children surrounding me. And my team was watching this saying, will you be my daddy? Will you be my daddy? They were that hungry they were that to hungry. have a relationship. Yes. And uh, I just looked at these kids, Wayne, and said, well, I love all of you. I went home and prayed over it. And uh, let's just say that day I became Papa Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's it. Now, Papa Joe. Papa Joe. And um, it's been a lot of, uh, let's say, faith walk experiences. My wife had this crazy idea of taking flyers throughout our community to see who was hungry. Now, we're talking about inner city Nashville. Uh, Tennessee at the time was like the fourth poorest uh, state, you know, in our country. And, of course, everybody said, yeah. It was, it was over 300 homes in this community. Yes, we're hungry. We lived there with them, Wayne. And so we didn't have any food. Mm-hmm. And so we went out looking for food, and the Lord would supply it. Then my wife had another crazy idea. Why don't we go throughout Nashville taking flyers? And so we did it without knowing how God was going to supply it. You didn't have a big organization behind you. Oh, no. It was just us and a few other people. No organization, just faith. And so (laughs) to the point, this one time, Wayne, this uh, reputable organization said they were going to give us a truckload of food to uh, take in about seven communities, about 300 families, you know, scattered out. The Friday before the Saturday, they called us and said, uh, I'm sorry, we're unable to bring the food to you. We didn't call this, uh, it's called a walk of love. We didn't call it off. We prayed. Within 30 minutes, this lady called and said, uh, Papa Joe, I just found $8,000. <laughs> now, personally, I've never lost $8,000, Wayne. Have you? <laughs> I don't think I've lost that much, no. <laughs> well, she was a wealthy lady, and uh, she found $8,000 in the bank account and said, I'm supposed to give to you, Papa Joe, I believe. So we went out and brought grocery gift cards. If you go on YouTube and and put in Walk of Love grocery card, you will see us with a team giving away grocery gift cards to several hundred families. And why do I get the feeling that that's just one of probably hundreds of stories that you have, right? That's one of many. It's just the Lord, he loves these people more than we do. He he actually wants to feed people that are hungry, Wayne. (laughs) So you are called to do this. Definitely In in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me more stories. Tell me what, what, what do you do? Well, 
right now, Wayne, we're working on what we call the National Walk of Love program. I, uh, at the time, I'm traveling uh, from coast to coast pretty much and uh, helping people uh, coordinate food and, and necessities for the least of these. A lot of places in our country is actually not a shortage of food. It's a shortage of, of connecting the resources with, with the need. Mm -hmm. And so we've been doing that for several years. And see, we go out there and say, well, well who, you know, who has it, you know, and how do you give it to the kids? If I'm in inner city America and I'm a single mother living in the projects, first of all, I don't know about those food trucks. Where are they? I don't have transportation to get to a food bank. The phone that I have that the government paid for, that only has a few minutes, the minutes have run out because I've been talking to my boyfriend. Uh -huh. And so the children are going hungry. And so, like I said, not a shortage of food everywhere. It's just getting it to where it's supposed to be. And so that's one of the things we do. We help people, you know, figure out, look, the food is over here. Let's get it to the children that need it. And we, we, we join the church together as one. Without denomination, you know, people come out and they have the Walk of Love t-shirts on, Wayne, and we all become one. And we just go out and take food, necessities, uniforms, you name it. We gave away $10,000 worth of Fusion VA juice to a, a community last, last year. How much? $10,000 worth. <laughs> yes, yeah, on our site. It's, it's amazing. So by meeting that physical need then, that opens a door for relationship? Yeah, it's like, it's like step one is like meeting the, the social, it's like the social needs of the community. Because it's like, if you, if you go straight to the door talking about jesus you know the, the single mother that's yeah. hungry she's gonna say what does jesus care about me look at what my kids are right going i'm yeah. hungry sure. you know how can i discuss this great jesus when i, I don't have food you know so james even said you know you see someone without mm -hmm. food or with clothing you know you can't tell them go away and be well well fed and clothed no we need to help them once we help them you know then that opens up the door for christ recently this uh, young lady uh, she hardly had anything in her apartment and my wife and our team went to help her. She didn't know Jesus. Soon after that, and we have it on the site, you know, my wife talking to her on the phone. She comes to Jesus, you know, on the phone. And then she was living, you know, with this guy, and they were married. And she's, you know, about a week later, she called and says, Papa Joe, we want to get married. And all this started with taking some food to the door. <laughs> what you're doing and, and the results that you've seen is this because you are so special, or can anybody do this? Wayne, I was one of the biggest heathens of all time. <laughs> what, what it is, is a transformation. You know, I believe that in the word, Paul didn't start out the way, you know, we see him, you know, as a great evangelist. You know, he was a murderer, you know, and, uh, you know, he took Christians and, you know, he oppressed, the, you know, the, the church. But God turned him into a great man. You know, I don't think I'm a hero or a great man. It's just there's simple things that can be done. And I am a mascot. I, I'm an advocate for at-risk children all over. I'm kind of like Ronald McDonald without the, without the paint on the face. <laughs> and your shoes are smaller. Yeah, well, a <laughs> lot smaller. <laughs> what a treat to talk with Papa Joe Bradford today. We'll learn more about him and Elijah's heart coming up in the second half. Next time on First Person, our guest will be Dr. Greg Pritchard, one of many who were discipled early in life by Dr. Francis Schaeffer. Greg will tell his story of coming to faith in Christ and explain why he feels Europe is key to fulfilling the Great Commission. We'll also learn about the annual European Leadership Forum 
and what is being done to encourage and train young Christian leaders in a culture of atheism. You'll hear it and be challenged by the conversation with Greg Pritchard next time on First Person. My guest today is Papa Joe Bradford. We're sitting in, uh, well, not in Nashville, but we're near Nashville. Uh, actually, thanks to Michael Card for allowing us to use his studio at the Mall Inn to sit down with Papa Joe today. What a delight to meet you. Thank you for taking this time. Well, thank you, Wayne. Now, I'm going to take you back, though, because you've talked about Walk of Love and the ministry today. I think you skipped uh, a bunch of chapters in between there. I want to know about your personal uh, coming to faith in Christ. When did that happen? When I was incarcerated, uh, I did get into a, a, a big fight, and um, I was put into solitary confinement for 40 days in Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. I was all alone, I thought, and I was somewhat like a prodigal child. I grew up in the church. You know, I, I just didn't know God. You had all the facts. Yeah, I had all the, the little facts and uh, went through the, the motions growing up, but uh, I actually didn't know God. So at the Lord's place, because like I said, I was the all-American guy, you know, about to get a big paying job with IBM. And I, I found myself in a hole, uh, the darkest place uh, to me anyway. And I had a dream. And in the dream, there was a red rose. I literally had a dream. And I slept one night. There was a red rose floating down a river. And uh, I didn't know interpretation. But, I, you know, in my mind, I looked at that red rose first as the love of God because I thought it represented love. And then um, I looked at it as, um, you know, the love that a, a husband would give his, give his wife. I thought, well, Lord, in a position that I am, you know, is this you? Uh, are you talking to me? Well, after I got out of prison, I, I moved from Knoxville, Tennessee, you know, to Nashville. And uh, on the uh, first job I could get was a temporary job. And I, I wasn't on the up and up. I didn't check the little boxes, you know. <laughs> That's the question. Have you ever spent time in prison? Right, right. I didn't check the box. And on the first day on the job, let's just say my red rose walked up. And her name is Denise. Oh. And uh, Jesus used her to uh, start purifying me from all the mess that I accumulated in my heart. Mm-hmm. You didn't come out of prison healed then, did you? No, I, I came out with a seed in my heart. Like I said, I believe in solitary confinement. I had a seed, you know, planted there. And when I met this, this lovely lady, you know, God did something with her because I thought she was going to leave me. I mean, I'm all alone, you know, and the stigma of being, you know, an ex-convict and plus the uh, violent thing that happened in, in prison, like she never stay with me, you know. And so when I told my wife about what happened, you know, uh, you know, before we got married, you know, we, we were really just good friends. And, uh, you know, I was starting to kind of like her. She kind of liked me. And <laughs> <laughs> I turned my head away from her, Wayne. And uh, after I told her what happened, because I just knew she was going to leave. And she, she took her hand and grabbed my chin and took, turned it back toward her. And she said, keep your chin up. You're not the same guy anymore. And from there, the Lord used a woman in my life to take us into ministry. Mm-hmm. It was her idea. The Lord put, it was her idea. I'm Papa Joe. But the idea of ministry actually came from my wife. And even now, women's ministries are our biggest force in helping these children. 
I've said it before, but uh, I think Luis Palau was the one who taught this to me, that very often the voice of God sounds like your wife, (laughs) right? And you've experienced that. I've experienced it. You know. So it was her unconditional love. It was her unconditional love. And this isn't highlighted greatly in the movie. In the movie Unconditional, you'll see, you'll hear the Papa Joe character uh, say that all this, you know, was Denise's idea, you know, because, you know, the Lord gave it to her. But, uh, yeah, her unconditional love, uh, you know, Jesus used that to grow love in me. All right. For those who have seen the movie Unconditional, Mm -hmm. it's now out on DVD, and I hope many more will see it. And for those who haven't seen it, what's the rest of the story? What do we need to know that we don't learn in the movie? The mission and purpose of Unconditional is, is love in action. I believe anybody that sees this movie will come away from it thinking, you know, how can I help? It's not the typical movie. Uh, there's some wonderful faith-based movies out there. But our movie uh, is a big call to action. It's not to just a love. story that just... It leaves the listener with a warm feeling. Or right. The, the, the you don't viewer. just come out of there feeling, oh, this was wonderful. Let me go take a nap. No, you, <laughs> you actually come out thinking, you know, how can I help the least of these? I got to do something. Got to do something. And we've been working with all national organizations. And on our website, papajoe.org, we actually will, you know, kind of help teach the, uh, the country, you know, about the different categories of the least of these. You know, foster children, orphans, uh, just poor inner city children, children of incarcerated parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we teach uh, the public about various types of the least of these and um, how they can help mm-hmm. in a simple way. And you network with other organizations? We network Prison with fellowship other, and others? Exactly. Uh, one of the, uh, the nation's largest prison ministry, we're, we're networking with them. We're networking with uh, large um, charities. Uh, and what we do pretty much... I'm more like a guide. Uh, I wanted to be a samurai warrior growing up. Growing up, and you see that in the movie, Wayne. What does that mean, though? What that means is, I believe that the samurai held something that made you know a person a hero. Of course, Jesus is the is a supreme hero. But I said the samurai because the other thing I wanted to be was Tarzan. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I always wanted to be Tarzan. But in the Tarzan movies, the old movies with Johnny Wasmuller, they had a lot of times the, the white man would come into the uh, jungle and there would be a black African guy. And for some reason, he could speak both African and, and American. Hmm. Well, I kind of look at myself like that guy. Hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of learned and I'm learning more the language of the jungle, of the inner city, of the poor and the lost, the at-risk children. And, uh, you know, I've learned the language of, uh, of the affluent, even though I hadn't been affluent. It's just I have close friends, and we've been working with those that love to help the poor. And so our position is like a middleman, you know, the, the, you know basically to uh, coordinate supply and demand. Like a bridge. Mm, An- like another a bridge. metaphor, a, a bridge exactly. uh, to connect the two. Well, move around the country and tell me what's happening in some of these places and what excites your heart. One of the, uh, one of the greatest examples is the um, prison ministry. Now, in Matthew 25, most of us know that Jesus said, you know, I was in prison and you visited me. That's one of the things. Well, it's a big purpose in that. If you Google incarceration and the word phenomenon, you're going to get a lot of hits hmm. because it's a phenomenon as to how fast, you know, our jails are filling up and they have to build more. And uh, 90-something percent of these uh, people get out of prison and then a lot of them end up coming back. But it affects society, society in a big way. Well, I'm, um, I'm going into the prisons, 
and uh, through this uh, organization, uh, Prison Fellowship Ministries, and we're, you know, we're doing media together. And also um, the children of incarcerated parents. Yeah, there's sad, sad story, isn't it? Yeah, on any given day, the statistic is as close to 2 million children who are parents incarcerated. Now, what we are doing, the uh, parents are incarcerated in the name of that parent. Let's say it's a father. We will help the children, okay? And uh, we've been doing it for years because a lot of kids we deal with, uh, you know, have parents that are incarcerated. We're very grateful for Angel Tree, the, yeah. the Christmas time project that provides gifts to those in many ways forgotten children. But you're 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 saying this is needed all year round. Exactly, the National Walk of Love program. We're partnering with uh, Angel Tree and other organizations to where, okay, yes, we you know Christmas gifts are wonderful for the children. But, you know, these children have social needs, they have spiritual needs and educational needs. You know, socially, you know, we want to help them get food, we want to help them get clothes. Spiritually, we want to get the word in them. You know, we have tools that we're doing. One of them is called Word Flow. It's actually scriptures to music, but it's put in a form that's receivable and, and acceptable, you know, by the children. Pretty much we have children in the project singing music about Jesus. They're going to sing something anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then educationally, we have tools that we get into the communities that, you know, you know there's other ways, that, you know, the kids wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So the National Walk of Love program pretty much uh, does things for this child out there that's not, you know, people don't, you know, know that they're out there needing, you know, you know as much as they need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, looking back on mm-hmm. that whole story, and when you're sitting at Brushy Mountain, could you have imagined in your wildest dreams what would happen in your lifetime? No, I actually get asked the question, uh, Papa Joe, did you think they're going to make a movie about you when you're <laughs> no, It's like... <laughs> How do you answer that question? Yeah. <laughs> you know, no. Um, I was just hoping to survive. Actually, I wrote this in my autobiography. It's called A Walk of Love. At the time, all I could, I felt like I was just nothing, and so I believe the Lord gives grace to the humble. He says it in James four and six, and so He just smacked my pride like mad. I feel like he's just humbled me to a point where I just want to be a servant. I didn't know at the time he was doing it, but I thank God for it. You got to be grateful to God every day. Every day, because like, you know, the disease alone, when I got the transplant, um, the doctors suggested that I didn't because I had sclerosis, which means if any kidney that would be put into my body, you know, the disease was going to kill. And plus it was a terrible match. In, in kidney transplant language, it's like antigens, and there's six of them. Mm-hmm. I only, my match was two. And so it was a poor match, and they, was, they were expecting the, the, the disease to kill my kidney. Well, let's just say I'm one of the longest-running transplant patients at Vanderbilt uh, Hospital. I've had the transplant about 14 years now. Mm-hmm. So praise God for that. All glory to God. Mm-hmm. Well, you can read more about today's guest, Papa Joe Bradford, in his autobiography, A Walk of Love. And as I said earlier, his unique life story is also told in the feature-length film, Unconditional. His ministry is called Elijah's Heart, and we've placed additional information and links to it on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Today, Papa Joe and Denise are actively uniting with others throughout the country to raise awareness of the desperate plight of many children and families. You'll find more information at firstpersoninterview.com. 
And then if you'd like to leave a comment about today's program, you can do that easily on Facebook. You'll find us at facebook.com forward slash first person interview. Once again, facebook.com slash first person interview. Next week, our guest will be Dr. Greg Pritchard of the European Leadership Forum, and he'll talk about the role of Europe in fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. 